The doctor-patient cried, Isn't anybody listening to me? He never thought he would have to say this. You're listening to Reach MDXM 157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Maurice Pickard, and joining me today is Dr. Robert Klitzman. Dr. Klitzman is the Associate Professor of Clinical Psychiatry at the Columbia College of Physicians and Surgeons. He co-founded and for five years co-directed the Columbia University Center for Bioethics and is currently the Director of Ethics, Policy, and Human Rights Corps of the HIV Center. Thank you very much, Dr. Klitzman, for joining us. You're very welcome. Dr. Klitzman, you've recently written the best-selling book, When Doctors Become Patients. Could you tell me, what prompted you to write this particular book? Well, a few things did. I became a patient myself. Uh, my sister, unfortunately, died on 9-11. She worked at Cantor Fitzgerald in the uh, World Trade Center. And after she died, I was grieving and mourning for her. But for a few weeks, I felt that I just couldn't get out of bed. I felt I had aches and pains and my muscles hurt, and I just didn't feel like doing anything. And I thought I had the flu. I just felt like I felt when I had the flu. And friends said, oh, no, this is all part of being depressed. And I said, well, I know I'm depressed and I'm grieving for my sister, but I also have the flu. And they said, no, 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 this is all depression, even the muscle aches and pains, and, you know, my eyes hurt. And lo and behold, even though I was a psychiatrist, I realized that they were right. And I was surprised that I, despite my training, had failed to recognize these bodily symptoms of my depression. And patients come in, and not only psychiatrists, but internists see patients who complain of various aches and pains, and we think it's primitive thinking of the patient's part, and why don't they just realize they're depressed, and tests show nothing, and, and they end up being depressed. And yet I was surprised to see how real these symptoms were. So I began to realize, well, if I missed my diagnosis, so to speak, or didn't really realize what it was like to be a patient, how do other doctors deal with this? So I looked in the literature and, and found a few single case reports, if you will, of doctors saying, I was a patient with diagnosis X, and this was what was what it was like, or I had diagnosis B, and this is what it was like. But there had never been a book or an attempt to sort of weave together their stories and integrate them and look systematically by the kinds of themes that come up, how doctors dealt with these issues and how they varied. And so that's what I attempted to do. How did you gather data? I mean, how did you go about finding doctors who might have chronic diseases that you could then reach out to for narratives? Well, I started this uh, in 2001 and thereabouts, and I sent an email out. This is before the days of mass spam, where people actually read all their emails, if you remember that. And I I, I sent an email to all the faculty at the medical center where I work saying, are you or do you know a physician with a serious illness? and explain what I was doing, and if so, you know, please contact me. Well, people contacted me, but also sent the email to people they knew at other medical centers. So someone would send it to a medical school classmate or someone they'd trained with who was another medical center, and word spread through word of mouth. So people would call me from a medical center, not my own, and sometimes in another state or part of the country, and said, well, are you coming here to do interviews? And I said, well, you know, if there's more than one person there, I I would. And he said, well, yes, there's three of us here who just were diagnosed with cancer, say. So I ended up traveling around the country 
and uh, to a number of cities and did interviews at a number of cities. How many people did you ultimately interview? And could you give me an idea of, of the spectrum of illnesses that you dealt with? I interviewed about 70 in all, of which I focused on 50 in the book. Uh, and part of that was I interviewed Moore's pilot date in the beginning once I was to sort of figure out what I was doing. At one point, I was going to focus just on physicians with HIV because I'd done a lot of work with HIV and issues around that, ethical issues and other issues, and then I expanded it. So the illnesses run the spectrum from HIV to cancer to heart disease, and probably those are probably the three biggest categories. A few people were depressed or had manic depression, and of course, within cancer, there are a range of different kinds of cancers, of course. And then within infectious disease, there was HIV, but there are other infectious diseases. So someone had hepatitis from a needle stick. Uh, someone else had a massively infected uh, foot that they'd un- had to undergo many, many treatments for. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Maurice Pickard, and I'm discussing a book When Doctors Become Patients, written by Dr. Robert Klitzman. And we're discussing the various issues of what it's like to be on the other side. What were some of the main themes that you were able to ascertain talking to these doctors? Well, the one thing is I realized how much becoming a patient was in many ways a journey for them. So they described how they often went from sort of denying their symptoms or thinking, no, this isn't me, I have a magic white coat, I'm protected against illness, Uh, And then they slowly came to realize that, in fact, they did have symptoms. Then they had to pick a doctor, and there were a bunch of issues around that, uh, where to pick the doctor, which doctor. Then they had to deal with the phenomenon of losing all this power and magic that they had and being on the other side of the stethoscope, so to speak. So there was a loss of dignity. They were kept waiting in waiting rooms. They began to deal with a lot of spiritual issues that they had never dealt with before. Some doctors said, you know, patients used to ask me to pray for them, and I'd poo-poo it. And suddenly I became a patient and realized how important that was. Um, They sort of had to deal with coping issues. And then most of them continued to see patients after that and tried to integrate what they had learned from seeing the other side into what they did with patients. And they came up with a lot of very good ideas, I thought, of how to be better doctors. Although you didn't give psychotherapy, the people that you interviewed, could you ascertain that they might have benefited either personally, how they dealt with their disease, or how they dealt with their patients? Yes, very much. They found it often a great relief to have a chance to talk about these issues and to have a chance to reflect on them. So at times I would just say, you know, tell me about your experience. So they'd go on for an hour or two. And I should say I interviewed each of them of the 50 in the book twice for two hours each time. So I got a good sense of the issues they were facing in their lives. But they found it very helpful just to have a chance to talk about this, to reflect on it, to realize that, in fact, they had gained a lot of things and to sort of put the pieces together, if you will. So when asked, well, has it changed your practice Many times, not to we're asked and forced to think about something, do we realize uh, how we have changed? So if someone were to ask you, you know, how have you changed in the last five years, you don't ordinarily think about that, but you, you're sort of forced to think, well, gee, that's, a, you know, that's an interesting question, and are there things that are different? And as you talk about it, a lot of us think as we talk, uh, or, or putting things into words forces us to organize our experiences. So a lot of these doctors found it very helpful to have a chance to to talk about these issues and reflect on them. And we're very glad that they 
engage in this, and, and some, a number of them have kept in touch with me since then. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Maurice Pickard, and I'm discussing a book, When Doctors Become Patients, written by Dr. Robert Klitzman. And we're discussing the various issues of what it's like to be on the other side. You know, you talk about change. Medical students early on in their career certainly identify with patients. But as their career moves along, we seem to identify with other doctors and other doctors' roles. There seems to be, certainly in the literature, some question about are we losing our feelings of compassion? And that leads me to say, do you think that that is happening? And do you think this book might have a position or a role in medical school education? Those are great questions. Yes, I think that compassion or empathy is under threat. I think part of that is due to forces such as managed care. So the average physician-patient visit is now, whatever it is, 10 minutes or so, 11 minutes, 8 minutes, sometimes I hear. We've become much more technological. So a lot of these doctors report that when they went to the hospital, they didn't see an intern for 12 hours, and the intern finally came around, and the doctor-patient would say, you know, I have to tell you, I was disappointed I didn't see you all day. And the intern would say, well, I ordered all the tests, as if that somehow justified not actually seeing one's patient or talking to him or her. So, uh, and I I think that being a doctor has gotten harder in a lot of ways, is my sense. Uh, There's a lot more pressures. There's huge financial pressures. There's more malpractice going on and costs around that. So I think that... uh, Compassion, empathy is under siege, and I think it's one of the reasons I wrote this book as well, is to try to see what we can do about that. And my sense is that a lot of these doctors, once they became patients, learn things uh, and realize that even though when a patient complains, we can say, oh, you know, that's just the patient complaining again. When these doctors say, you know, in the book, look, you know, I'm one of you guys, I'm a doctor, I've been on both sides, and these are things we don't do well. Uh, it could be very powerful. So, for instance, one of these doctors said, and and echoing what a number of them talked about, he said, you know, I went to see my doctor, and, you know, he kept me waiting in the waiting room for 40 minutes. I was driven up the wall. And I said, well, you kept patients waiting? He said, well, I guess so. I don't even know. I never thought about it. And he said, but now, he says, I always say to patients, uh, you know, I'm sorry to have kept you waiting. And it sort of melts the tension in the room. Similarly, uh, one doctor said, you know, when I went to the hospital, I was lying in bed. One of my doctors, instead of standing up at the foot of the bed, would sit down and we'd talk eye to eye. And he said, since then, I've told all my trainees to do that, and I do that. It's made a difference. Another doctor said that when he was in the hospital, one of his doctors would take the charts and write his chart notes at the bedside rather than going to the nursing station to do it there. And that would give them a few more minutes of being together. And that made a big difference, and he now does that and tells his trainees to do that. So I think these are little ways often that we can be there, both literally and metaphorically, for our patients more. And I think that, uh, I think reading this book, I hope, can make people more tuned to sort of seeing the other side, that as physicians, we're trained to have one point of view. And when you're on the other side, you realize there's a lot of stuff that we ignore. So A lot of these doctors talked about, for instance, about things that were, quote, clinically insignificant or significant. So having persistent nausea for days or weeks or having fatigue for weeks or insomnia, things that we dismiss when patients talk about them. You know, well, fatigue, look, there's nothing we can do about it. We're focused on the LFTs or whatever it is. 
But suddenly when you're on the other side, you realize how important those things are and that the things that we as doctors classify as clinically insignificant, if you're the one experiencing them, are incredibly significant. Uh, and these doctors began to realize sort of the surround around what they're, what we're taught to focus on and how important those things are if you're on the other side. Well, we're all going to be patients someday. Yeah. Uh, everybody that's listening is going to be a patient. Some of us already are. I'm Dr. Maurice Pickard, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. To comment or listen to our full library of podcasts, visit us at ReachMD.com. Register with promo code RADIO and receive six months free streaming for your home or office. Thank you for listening.